Alright, welcome back to King Tut Part 2. I hope you guys enjoyed Part 1. In this episode, we're going to discuss the deaths associated, or supposedly associated, with the opening of King Tut's tomb. But before we get going, I do have to thank some new Patreon subscribers. We got Kristen Stalnaker and Fraser Milne. I hope that's how you pronounce your last name. If not, I, I do apologize. I also got to thank uh, Antigone. She sent me a donation on Venmo. I hope you enjoyed those bonus episodes I sent you for that donation. If anybody would like to join Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. We got all these episodes ad-free, and I don't know, I think we're up to over 100 bonus episodes. I think we're around 150 right now or something like that. If you do not want to do that, you can always do a one-time donation on Venmo at MC Podcast. So, with all that behind us, let's go ahead and get on with the show. Alright, let's go ahead and talk about some of these deaths. I have them in chronological order as well. So, the first one is the most prominent, and it was on April 5th, 1923, and it was George Herbert, the 5th Earl of Carnarvon. He was the British aristocrat and amateur Egyptologist who helped finance the search for King Tut's tomb. Four months and seven days after the discovery of the first step leading down to the tomb is when he died. Two weeks before Carnarvon died, a woman named Marie Corelli wrote a letter that was published in the New York World magazine in which she quoted an obscure book that confidently said... Dire punishment would follow any intrusion into a sealed tomb. The Earl, though, was already in bad health. He had been in an automobile accident in 1901, so it made him very frail and unhealthy just in general. And his doctor recommended a warmer climate. So in 1903, the Carnarvons traveled to Egypt, and that is where he got interested in Egyptology. So six weeks after his death, the press started reporting on the mummy's curse, which was thought to basically afflict anyone associated with disturbing the mummy. The cause of his death was that he accidentally tore open a mosquito bite while shaving. So with all the stresses of the excavation, Lord Carnarvon, George Herbert, he was already in a weakened state. And the infection that he got led to pneumonia, and that resulted in blood poisoning. And pneumonia was thought to be only one of the various complications that happened because of this infection. This resulted in multi-organ failure. So the Earl was prone to frequent and severe lung infections because he was already in a frail state from that car accident. And apparently amongst his friends and colleagues and doctors, there was a general belief that one acute attack of bronchitis could have killed him because he was in such a weakened state and his immune system was not that good. So legend has it that when he died, the lights in all of Cairo mysteriously went out for 20 minutes. Now, depending on your source, you'll also hear that all the lights in his house went out. The thing they don't tell you is that Cairo, at this time, in the 1920s, power outages were very, very common. They just could not handle all that. 
Now, it was also reported by a son, Lord Porchester, that at the very moment Lord Carnarvon died, his pet fox terrier dog, Susie, let out this really loud howl and dropped dead at home in uh, Highclere Castle in England. But Lord Porchester, the Earl's son, was in India at the time and would continue to benefit from the newspapers that were selling all this curse articles and stories because of a deal that Lord Carnarvon made with the Times of London. This ensured him profits even after he was gone, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. So when Lord Carnarvon died, the media went absolutely crazy, and there were all these reports that a curse had been found in King Tut's tomb, and we know from part one that that was not true. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, also suggested that Lord Carnarvon's death had been caused by elementals created by King Tut's priests to guard the royal tomb, and of course because of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's fame, this just fueled the media interest in this shit even more. A guy named Arthur Weigel reported that six weeks before Carnarvon's death, he had watched the Earl laughing and joking as he entered the king's tomb and said to a nearby reporter, a guy by the name of H.V. Morton, he said, I give him six weeks to live. Some people theorize that uh, one of the scientific explanations for Lord Carnarvon's death was linked to toxins within King Tut's tomb. Now, there were some ancient mummies that have been shown to carry very dangerous species of mold, and the tomb walls would have been covered in bacteria, and this bacteria was known to attack the respiratory system. A lot of experts do dismiss this theory, though. They say that Carnarvon was chronically ill before he ever set foot in King Tut's tomb. And besides that, he didn't die until months after his first exposure. And the toxins would have killed him much, much sooner than that if it would have been the case. The report points out that the Earl was only one of many to enter the tomb on several occasions and that none of the others were affected by this mold, if that was the theory that they were going on. There is one interesting fact that I do have to point out, though. The first autopsy that was carried out on the body of King Tut by a guy named Dr. Derry found a healed lesion on the left cheek. But because Lord Carnarvon had been buried six months before this, they could not determine if the location of the wound on the king corresponded with the fatal mosquito bite that he had cut open while shaving. So there is a chance it might have been in the same location as King Tut. We do not know. So it's pretty interesting stuff. All right, next we have September 26, 1923. We have Aubrey Herbert, and this is Lord Carnarvon's half-brother. Supposedly, he had suffered from the curse because he was related to Lord Carnarvon. Aubrey Herbert was born with a degenerative eye condition and became totally blind later in life. So a doctor suggested to him that his rotten infected teeth were interfering with his vision. So Herbert goes and has every single tooth pulled from his head. And he was trying to regain his sight back. Needless to say, that shit did not work, okay? 
but he did die of sepsis as a result of this surgery by having all his teeth taken out. And this was just five months after the death of his half-brother, George Herbert, also known as Lord Carnarvon. Next, we have January 15, 1924, Sir Archibald Douglas Reed. Reed was the guy who x-rayed the body of King Tup before it was handed over to the museum authorities. The following day after he x-rayed the body, Reed would become ill, and just three days after examining Tut's body, he would die of a mysterious illness. But he was already in poor general health, and he went to Switzerland, and he was hoping for the mountain air to help cure his illness or whatever. While he was in Switzerland, he has some kind of acute abdominal condition that kind of came on, and he did have an operation, but he ended up dying anyway. And his death just kept fueling the theory of a curse because of an ancient Egyptian curse that warns about a disease that no doctor can diagnose, which is fairly interesting. Now here we have about five months later on May 16, 1924, George J. Gould. Gold was a very wealthy American financier and he was a railroad executive who visited the tomb back in 1923 and this was a few months after the tomb was opened. He ended up falling sick almost immediately afterward and he never recovered from this sickness. He ended up dying in the French Riviera of a high fever and pneumonia. Next on the list, 1924, we got Hugh Evelyn White. He was a British archaeologist and he visited the tomb and may have helped excavate the site. According to legend, Hugh Evelyn White saw two dozen of his fellow excavators die by 1924, which, as we know right now, that is not fucking true. So he decided that he was not going to let the curse get him. So he decided to hang himself in Leeds, where he was a lecturer at the university there. Now, like I said, supposedly he was so scared of the curse that he decided to take his own life before the curse got him. But the fact of the matter is his suicide was most likely linked to the death of a very close friend of his. Then in 1925, we have Sir Bruce Ingham. In 1925, Howard Carter, the archaeologist who discovered the tomb, he gave a paperweight to his friend Sir Bruce Ingham as a gift. The paperweight was a mummified hand wearing a bracelet that was supposedly inscribed with the phrase, Cursed be he who moves my body. To him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. Ingham did not actually die from this supposed curse, but his house did burn to the ground not long after he received this gift. And when he tried to rebuild it, it was hit by a flood. So... Ingham was smart enough to get rid of the hand, you know, before the last supposed part of the curse came. The hand didn't even belong to King Tut. We don't know where it came from, but the only association that we have with King Tut is that it was given to him by Howard Carter. So, there's that. Then we have... Aaron Ember, on May 31st, 1926, he was an American Egyptologist. He was a professor of Egyptology at Johns Hopkins. He was friends with Carter, 
and a lot of the other people who were present when the tomb was opened, and he was friends with Lord Carnarvon as well. Aaron Ember died because his house in Baltimore burned down less than an hour after he and his wife hosted a dinner party. The thing about it is, he could have gotten out safely, but his wife encouraged him to save a manuscript he had been working on while she went and got their son. Unfortunately, none of them survived. Aaron Ember, his wife, and his child, along with their maid, died in this fire. Weird part is the name of his manuscript was called The Egyptian Book of the Dead. Then, on April 6, 1928, we have Arthur C. Mace. He was an archaeologist. Mace worked closely with Howard Carter in preserving the artifacts that were removed from the tomb. So, reportedly, Mace even assisted Carter in removing the shroud of King Tut's body. The longer Mace stayed on the site, the sicker he became. After two years on the site, Mace was forced to leave in 1924 for health reasons. By 1928, he had developed pleuritis, which is an inflammation of the membranes that surround the lungs. The initial cause of infection was unknown. Mace would eventually develop pneumonia as a result of it, just like Lord Carnarvon and Gold. And on April 6, 1928, Mace would die from complications of pneumonia. In a weird twist, during his autopsy, doctors discovered that the cause of death was actually arsenic poisoning. It was not known how arsenic would have gotten into his system. Could Mace have suffered the same fate as Sir Archibald Douglas Reed? And this would have been the death by a disease that no doctor can diagnose. On November 15, 1929, we have Richard Bethel. Bethel was Howard Carter's secretary and the first person behind Carter to enter the tomb. He died in 1929 under suspicious circumstances. A lot of modern historians have attributed his death to the work of Alistair Crowley. Bethel was found smothered in his room in a posh London gentleman's club called Mayfair Club. Now, soon after he died, the Nottingham Evening Post said the suggestion that Richard Bethel had come under the curse was raised last year when there was a series of mysterious fires at his home where some of the priceless finds from King Tut's tomb were stored. There was no evidence of a connection between artifacts and Bethel's death to be honest, it's a little long for a curse, like this happened in 1929. But he was only 35 years old when he died, and nobody knows exactly what happened. And then, on April 10th, 1930, the following year, his father jumped out of the seventh-story window of his home. Now we skip about five years. In 1935, we have James Henry Breasted. And he was another famous Egyptologist back in that day. He was a member of Carter's team when the king's tomb was opened. And he did have bad luck for a while. Shortly after they opened the tomb, he allegedly returned home to find that his pet canary had been eaten by a cobra. And the cobra was still sitting there in the cage. I've also heard this story told about Howard Carter in which it was his canary, not James Henry Breasted's canary. 
Now, since the cobra is a symbol of the Egyptian monarchy, and one of the things that kings wore on their headdresses to represent protection, this was a very ominous sign to a lot of people, and it helped fuel even more local rumors. He didn't die until 1935, but his death did occur immediately after he took a trip to Egypt. Then we have Howard Carter himself on March 2nd, 1939. Supposedly, he loved archaeology, which he did, and they say that he was deeply respectful of the subjects that he had excavated or the sarcophagus, you know, that he would take out of the tombs. And some people say that's why he was spared. Now, Carter never had a mysterious, weird illness, and his house never caught on fire or anything like that. He died of lymphoma at the age of 64, and his tombstone even says, May your spirit live, may you spend millions of years, you who love Thebes, sitting with your face to the north wind, your eyes beholding happiness. So a lot of people say, well, that's probably why the pharaohs spared him from the curse because he was so respectful and yada yada. I don't know. He not only discovered the tomb, he was the guy who physically opened it. He also removed King Tut from the sarcophagus. So he lived until 1939, ended up dying of cancer at the age of 64. And this was 16 years after the tomb was opened. And you would think he would be the first one hit, you know what I mean? Then we move on to 1961. We have American archaeologist J.O. Kinnaman. This was 39 years after the events of the tomb. Then we have 1980. Lady Evelyn Herbert. This is Lord Carnarvon's daughter. She was one of the very first people to enter the tomb after it was discovered back in November of 1922. She lived for another 57 years and died in 1980. Then we have in 1982, Sergeant Richard Adamson. He was a member of Howard Carter's team who guarded the burial chamber around the clock for seven fucking years and was the European closest to King Tut's remains. He lived for another 60 years after the event. Now that we have order of the deaths and stuff like that, we're going to take a quick little break, probably a few minutes, go grab a drink, or you can just hit the fast forward button. We will be right back here in a minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Alright, so let's talk about this curse and where it might have come from. The belief in this curse was brought to a lot of people's attention because of the deaths of a few members of Howard Carter's team that happened shortly after the opening of the tomb. Howard Carter was very skeptical of the curses. He called them Tommy Rot and said, The sentiment of the Egyptologist is not one of fear, but of respect and awe, entirely opposed to foolish superstitions. In May 1926, he reported in his diary, 
a sighting of a jackal of the same type as Anubis, who was the guardian of the dead, for the first time in over 35 years of working in the desert. This was the first time he had ever seen one. But he did not attribute this to any kind of supernatural activity at all. A lot of skeptics also point out that there were so many other people who visited the tomb or helped to discover it. They went on to live long and very healthy lives. They did a study that showed out of the 58 people who were present when the tomb and sarcophagus were opened, only 8 died within a dozen years, which is the deaths that we just went through. Now, all the others were still alive at the time, and this would have included Howard Carter. So in order to keep the press off of their asses, but allow them a sensational type aspect, the head of the excavation team, who was Howard Carter, put out a story that a curse had been placed upon anyone who violated the rest of the boy king. Howard Carter did not invent the idea of the cursed tomb, but he did exploit the hell out of it to keep intruders out of there to keep them away from the tomb so they wouldn't take anything, steal anything, anything like that. And it should be noted that the tombs of all royalty, not just King Tut, were said to have exactly the same curse and had been opened with no resulting effects. There were no deaths, there were no nothing, and they supposedly all had the same curse. And Howard Carter is not the only one to use this type of curse or whatever the case might be to scare away any kind of grave robbers or anything like that. William Shakespeare's epitaph reads, Blessed be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. Now, Shakespeare was not really being dramatic when he tried to write these words, but he was trying to prevent... Um, somebody from stealing his body like grave robbers and they weren't just going to steal it to keep it or take whatever of value out of there they would steal bodies and sell them to medical schools so he was trying to prevent people from doing that shit to his bones unfortunately at this time grave robbing was a very very common thing so you know it is what it is whether any of these people actually believed in the curse really doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if Howard Carter or King Tut or William Shakespeare believed in this shit. When people would hear about it, it worked. I'm talking like a hundred years later, people still believe in this curse. It is still a very hot topic, so it worked. One of the reasons for King Tut's whole tomb and it worked with that so well was because it was very interesting. It was untouched for 3,000 years. There was all kinds of riches found in there, everything like that. And not many people knew much about King Tut at the time. So when the deaths started happening and they were kind of um, connected to King Tut, they were very, very publicized. Part of that was because some of the people who were dying were very well-known people. They were wealthy aristocrats. And then the media starts going into even more of a frenzy, and they start running the idea of a curse, basically projecting it into these deaths. And they were saying the whole time that there's no other explanation other than Egyptian magic. When King Tut's tomb was found, like, this was worldwide press. It was the biggest news. 
the curse started spreading more and more and more. So Howard Carter's kind of playing into this shit because he doesn't want anybody breaking into this tomb and taking everything because it took them so long to get everything out of there and catalog it. I think it was like 10 years it took them to catalog all the shit. And then you have the Times in London and New York World Magazine. They published Marie Corelli's, you know, speculations about this curse. And at the time, she was a best-selling novelist. So people took this shit to heart. And like I said earlier, you know, she said the most dire punishment follows any rash intruder into a sealed tomb. She was basically quoting some obscure book. And then when Lord Carnarvon died in Cairo, 56 years old, everybody said the lights in the city went out. Boom. Everybody just went apeshit crazy. They're like, see, we told you. And then you had fucking Arthur Conan Doyle. He was telling the American press that an evil elemental spirit created by priests to protect the mummy could have caused Carnarvon's death. As we know from part one, there was no curse that was actually found in the tomb. But the deaths in the following years of all these different members of Howard Carter's team and some of these visitors just kind of kept the story alive. I will admit, some of these deaths are a little bit odd, like the circumstances surrounding them. So I will say that, openly admit it. But most people who worked in or visited the tomb, they all lived long lives. But it didn't matter because people were already invested in this cursed story. And as soon as he died, even though it was in 1939, all the curse propaganda just started again. Because of all the worldwide interest when they found this tomb, all the newspapers wanted a piece of this. So all these newspapers, they speculated that they were the victims of the mummy's curse. Anybody who died or the curse of the pharaohs. And on December 22, 1922, the New York Times ran an article about the splendors of the tomb. And it said, No finer human interest story, no more thrilling drama, no greater archaeological revelations could be summoned from history or the most vivid imagination that is told by the mute objects in the tomb of King Tut. Mute objects that speak with golden eloquence and whose message is now being revealed to the world. It was shit like that that started making these curse stories come out about King Tut. And there were so many reporters that wanted this story that they would show up at the site and they're getting disturbed. Like all the archaeologists and Egyptologists and shit, they're trying to get shit done. You know what I mean? And all these reporters keep showing up and bugging them and they're trampling around everywhere. So it became a problem. And Lord Carnarvon and Howard Carter, they started becoming very concerned because of that. They were hounded by journalists and reporters all the fucking time. Howard Carter was supposedly weary of telegrams and sick to death of reporters. He wanted to avoid being followed by anybody that was involved with the press. As I had mentioned, one of the deaths was a guy named Arthur C. Mace, and Howard Carter worked with him. And Mace was the assistant curator at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York in the Department of Egyptian Art. He was the one in charge of uh, all the stuff related to the Tomb of King Tut. And they were reported as saying that archaeology under the limelight is a new and rather bewildering experience for most of us. All of a sudden, we find the world takes an interest in us, an interest so intense and so avid for details that special correspondents at large salaries 
have to be sent to interview us, report our every movement, and hide around corners to surprise a secret out of us. So again, these guys were getting hounded by the press all the time. And one of the reasons is because of the exclusive contract with the Times. The situation with the press basically started on January 9th, 1923. Lord Carnarvon signed a 5,000 pound exclusive contract to cover the tomb of King Tut with the London Times. In addition to all the exclusive rights, he also negotiated 75% of all profits from the sales of Times articles to the rest of the world. So this dude's making 75% off of any article, any newspaper that is sold that is talking about King Tut. That is pretty ingenious. And when we talked about his death and how his son basically was saying all that shit... Well, he was still reaping the profits from all the sales of these newspapers. So when he died, and he's like, yeah, his dog let out this howl and just died and all the lights in Cairo. It's like, bro, you weren't even there. Like, you were in India. Because he knew if he started riling up all these newspaper articles and all this shit, they were going to sell more. And he's getting 75% profits because his dad wasn't around anymore. Kind of shitty, but kind of smart at the same time. But this is what fucked him up, is the other newspapers and all the other press media, they were pissed about the monopoly on the news of all this King Tut stuff. Because they couldn't print, all they could do is like reprint original articles from the Times. So they had to start coming up with these new and exciting stories in order to sell newspapers. (laughs) So... A dude named Arthur uh, Weigel of the Daily Mail said he felt pity for the ordeal the mummy faced. But nobody tells you Arthur Weigel is a disgruntled reporter. and He was a journalist, former Egyptologist, and he hated Howard Carter. Those two were enemies. So he's sitting here saying all this shit too to try to make Howard Carter look bad, but also sell newspapers because they didn't have the rights. The London Times was the only publication that had the rights to print anything about King Tut's tomb that was factual, that was with interviews with Howard Carter, or Lord Carnarvon, or anybody else involved. So when Carnarvon died, Weigel just jumped on this shit, and he was claiming that it was the curse of King Tut that killed him, even though... He didn't believe in the damn curse himself. So then you have Howard Carter who's blaming Weigel for all of this bullshit about a curse, you know, and just spinning this shit out of just out of proportion. But at the same time, Howard Carter is also feeding into this shit because he doesn't want anybody going into the tomb to try to take some of the stuff out of it. So there's this whole situation going on. There was an inscription found on an Anubis shrine found in the tomb of King Tut that stated, It is I who hinder the sand from choking the secret chamber. I am for the protection of the deceased. Reporters heard about this, and they started just blowing it way out of proportion. They were embellishing it. Anubis was the god of the dead. By that time, there was so much talk about the curse, it really didn't fucking matter. All these curse ideas were fueled, like I said, by... Marie Corelli, I talked about her earlier. Uh, You had Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, 
getting interviewed in New York Times and shit, and he's feeding into it. You have a reporter who mentions the death of Lord Carnarvon. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle straight up says that, yeah, man, those were those are all just curses from the ancient priest uh, to guard the, the tomb of King Tut, which there was no curse in the tomb. When he said that, the story made headlines in newspapers like all over the world. So all these myths, all these legends about the deaths, all this misinformation, curses, mummies, they're selling newspapers and that's what it was all about. It was about selling newspapers and keeping grave robbers out of the fucking tombs. Of course, newspapers are out here blaming Lord Carnarvon's death on the curse. It is what it is. And then uh, it's weird because several American politicians went so far as to call for an investigation of mummies to determine whether or not they possessed the same medical dangers as those thought to be in the apparent tomb. So... It was just a shit show. There's all this stuff going on. <laughs> you got another newspaper headline from the New York Times that stated, Pharaoh's Ka guards the tomb. And then the following newspaper report came after that. It said, Those most intimately connected with the tomb during the last few months suffered in some way or other. Even the journalists who covered the story have felt their reaction. Three of them have become ill. Well, like I had mentioned earlier, this is kind of a weird, strange coincidence that when the mummy of Pharaoh Tut was unwrapped, the mummy had a wound on his left cheek. And like I had mentioned earlier, apparently the wound was in the exact same position as the mosquito bite, which had led to the death of Lord Carnarvon. But we do not know that because he was already buried six months when they unwrapped the mummy of, of King Tut. So we don't know unless somebody else like saw him before he died, you know, where he cut that mosquito bite shaving or whatever. Man, the newspapers just fed into this shit so hardcore. And like I said, Carter himself got involved with it. He teamed up with a magazine writer named Percy White in 1923, and he wrote a semi-fictional magazine story called Tomb of the Bird, Death of the White Canary. And he told the account of the death of Howard Carter's canary. As we talked about earlier, it was actually somebody else's canary. But it was a semi-fictionalized account of the death of this fucking bird, and it was because of a bite from a cobra. So Carter's kind of indulging in all these curse speculations, but it did come back to haunt him because newspapers, they were feeding into the shit so much that there was so much misinformation that was printed. People were asking him all kinds of weird stuff. There was more lies than truth about what was going on, and this pissed Howard Carter off, so it kind of backfired on him. Then you have an investigator named James Randi, who I'm not a fan of. In his book, An Encyclopedia of Claims, Frauds, and Hoaxes of the Occult and Supernatural, he said, The average duration of life for those who should have suffered the ancient curse was more than 23 years after the curse was supposed to become effective. And then you have the British Medical Journal. And according to them, after doing a study in 2002 on the survival rates of 44 Westerners whom Howard Carter had identified as being in Egypt when the tomb was examined, anybody who was a native Egyptian was unharmed. 
So the study compared the mean age of death for the 25 of those people who were present at the opening or examination of the tomb with the others who were not there. And there was no significant association between potential exposure to the mummy's curse and a survival rate. And there was no sign at all that those who were exposed were more likely to die within 10 years. So even in 2002, they did a fucking study on this stuff. This is probably one of the most well-known curses, and it is the Curse of King Tut. I don't know. You guys just got all the facts? <laughs> I honestly think the newspapers and the media just played into this shit so hard to sell newspapers, and for good reason. They didn't have any rights to any of the stories. The London Times had exclusive rights. Which, Lord Carnarvon, good for him, man. Like, he worked out a good deal, though. He really did. And, yeah, that's pretty much how it all went down. So, again, I'm going to rattle off some sources here. We have mentalfloss.com, article by Stacy Conrad from 2018. We have history.com, an article dated 2018. We have lifescience.com, Benjamin Radford, published in March 2014. We have an article by Katie Serena that is All That's Interesting. We have Richard Cavendish, HistoryToday.com. We have 2017 History Embalmed. Uh, we have Owen Jarris, an article that was published by Live Science in 2021. And then we have nothing else. I will say this, though. They recently did find out that Howard, Howard Carter um, stole a bunch of shit out of the tomb and he kept them for himself. And I mean, this was just this year and last year they they found this shit out and broke that news. So, you know, Howard Carter wasn't that respectful as everybody thought he was. And again, the curse never got him. He ended up dying of lymphoma. So, uh, ways you can get a hold of me. You can always email me, justin.mcpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at mysterious underscore podcast. You can find me on Twitter at PodcastMC. I'm really not on Twitter all that much, so, you know, don't be disappointed when you don't see me tweeting shit like every single fucking day like most podcasters. I don't know. I actually got a life, so I can't be doing all that. I do not have a Facebook page anymore. Uh, it was deleted the last time I took my Facebook break, but the Facebook group is still there. So just type in Mysterious Circumstances. You will be able to find us. I'm on TikTok at MC Podcast. Yeah, I think that's about it. Until next time, I will see you folks on the flip side.